All right, we want to welcome you back this afternoon. How's everyone doing? This is a dangerous time of the day. You've had food, and it's in the afternoon, and things happen. I remember once how I had a, uh, uh, hearing the story about this guy who always had somebody who fell asleep in his congregation. And he was going, oh no, what am I going to do with this guy? So one day he decided to play a joke on him. So in front of the whole congregation, he says, I'm going to make sure he never falls asleep again. So very softly, he said, will all those going to heaven please stand? And everybody in the congregation stands up except this one guy who's out there. And he says, all right, be seated. And he says, now all those going to, ha to hell, please stand. This guy jumps up out of his seat. And the pastor thinks, I got him. And then the guy looks at the pastor and says, now why are you and I the only guys standing? <laughs> so <laughs> I will uh, try and keep you awake this afternoon, but help me out where you can, all right? We are taking a look at soul hunger. We're looking at how Hollywood affects your holiness. And we want to, uh, before we go into this, what I've been doing with every session is I would like us to just sing a song that I feel really connects us with holiness, and that's, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. So if someone could start that out for us, Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary. Prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, pride and truth. With thanksgiving, I'll be a living sanctuary, Lord, for you. Let's pray together. Father, we're so grateful to be in your presence again this afternoon. You know that our holiness is on the rocks. We want to find out how Hollywood affects that holiness, Lord. We want to... Create a new momentum of young people who will take your holiness seriously. Help us not to be dependent on the things around us, <clears throat> but instead to be focused on you. In Jesus' name, amen. Sorry, let me get some water here so that I've got enough voice to make it through. All right, ever felt bored? Oh, yes. Any of you ever been bored in church? Okay, at least a few hands go up. You're honest. You start reading the hymnal because the preacher's going on about something you don't know. I remember sitting in a, a congregation in Africa and the preacher was going on about the stars, all these constellations, and he was being translated. And the, so the translator was going, you know, I don't know where he's at. Because, you know, first of all, the stars in the northern hemisphere are different from the stars in the southern hemisphere. So we didn't even have words to describe what he was talking about. So the translator says, I'm just going to preach my own sermon. <laughs> and so, so he starts preaching away in the other language. And the guys, you know, he's looking at you translating. Oh, you know, he keeps preaching away. And then he gets through about midway and he says, oh, he's still up there. And I'm, he keeps preaching a sermon. Everyone's amening. And at least church was a little more exciting that day. But the reality for most of us is that church can be boring. In fact, religion can be boring. There, there is a diminishing of spirituality. And so we have to take a look at what is going on here. Bible study is boring. Any of you have been bored in Bible study? Especially on a Sabbath morning when you're sitting around and everyone's sharing their opinions on the Sabbath school lesson? Uh, my spiritual life is boring. There's no zest in there. Some of you say, my prayer life is ritualistic. I prayed the same prayer for 20 years. Doesn't the Lord know what I want to say? And so we, we feel like there's nothing to it. Something is not working. I don't seem to be able to really focus on God. You're praying, and what happens? You fall asleep. You get distracted. There you are saying, dear Lord, please be with me. And the next thing you know, you're waking up. And you're going, what happened? I thought I was praying. Something is going wrong. Then we go to church and we put on spiritual masks, but we're bored at church too. Something is just not working. And so we get to Sabbath school lessons, and this completes the background to the lesson, but everybody has fallen asleep. 
uh, you know, he has a great one. The guy's got a little remote control and he says, hey, the mute button works at church too. But it's true. Have you noticed when you're in church, you can totally tune out what the guy's saying up in front. And, you know, 20 minutes later, you go, what, what did he say again? When you're reading your Bibles, have you ever had this experience? You're reading your Bibles and, and five minutes later you say, what did I just read? You have no idea. And so something is going wrong. And yet, this is the generation that has a cry of the heart. You know this famous contemporary song? Holiness. Holiness is what I long for. Holiness is what I need. Holiness is what you want for me, for me. So take my heart and mold it. Take my mind, transform it. Take my will, conform it. To yours, to yours, O Lord. You know the song? And yet, this isn't happening. This is something we say. Fascinating, you know, how everybody gets together for revival sessions. I remember uh, reading the story, I think it was Dwight L. Moody. And uh, he had a whole group of people all lined up there to get revival. And so he asked him a question. He says, I just want to find out here, you know, just, just to find out. He says, how many of you pray for at least 30 minutes a day? And there was a group like this. One hand goes up. One hand in that entire group. He says, all right, all right. Maybe I made it too complicated. How many of you definitely pray for 15 minutes every day? And about half of the group raise their hands. Now, I wonder what would happen if we asked the same question here. See, we talk about holiness. We want holiness, but somehow it is not translating into our lives. Something is going wrong. There is a challenge, and we need to take a look at what that challenge is. There are some stranglers to holiness. And so today I particularly want to look at the strangling of holiness by the media. And I believe that media is a powerful tool. It's a tool that we can really use for God. But me this is the media generation. We live for the internet. We live for movies. We live for music. And so something is going wrong. And there's movies, there's music, there's television, there's video games, there's internet, there's magazines. Now, we're not going to deal necessarily with all of these, but we are going to take a look at some of the principles. Now, here's why I believe Hollywood is a curse. Hollywood is a curse to our holiness. Now, I'm going to give you some, some breakdowns, some principles, and we're going to see if you agree, we agree with that. First of all, we've turned religion into a movie. Now you say, what, what are you talking about? It's certainly no movie for me, but this is our expectation now of religion. What is it that you expect in a movie? What's the point of a movie? To entertain you, right? So we expect to be entertained. What else? Create an emotion. Very good. We want to escape from our current feelings. And so we live in this alter reality. You know, when you were seven years old, it was more effective. You could be Superman. In your dreams, you dreamed of Superman. I remember one time I was Mary Poppins. Now, I understand the gender identity <laughs> issues here. But I thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to stand on the edge of whatever it was, a wall or something. And I'm going to jump off the wall with my umbrella. And so there I jumped, and uh, great was the fall thereof. <laughs> when you're a kid, you can understand this. But as adults, we, we long to escape. And so what happens is, which night is movie night for Adventists? Saturday night, all right? Why do we go Saturday night live on Saturday night? Because we want to escape from the spirituality. The spirituality is too much for us. The religion's too overwhelming. And so we attempt to escape. We want to create an emotional climate of intimacy. What happens with movies is that movies activate mirror neurons in our heads. You've heard of monkey see, monkey do? Well, what happens when you see something, when you see a woman kissing a man, the same neurons fire in your head as if you were kissing. If you're a woman kissing the man, man kissing a woman, the same neurons fire in your head. You get it? So the same experience, it's as if you're going through the same experience. When you see it, you experience it. And they've done this with brain scans. So when, when you see a person eating a delicious ice cream sundae, that, uh, vegan of course, that melts <laughs> and it just kind of flows down and you, and you see it putting in their mouth and the expression on their face, what's happening in your mind? So notice I waited until after lunch to give this illustration. What happens in your mind? It's as if you're tasting it. It's as if you're seeing it. The mirror neurons, the same neurons fire in your head as are firing in the real situation. You follow that? And so we create that emotional climate. So we want that intimacy. We want somebody to love us. We want somebody to embrace us. And when we go to the movies, we get that experience through 
the movies. It appeals to our desires. We want to fulfill our desires, but we'd never admit it to anyone, but we're happy to watch it, right? I would never have premarital sex, but I'm happy to watch it and feel the experience. All right? It makes us feel better about yourselves. Now we go to movies to feel better. Now I do not understand why some people go to movies to cry. <laughs> but that's what they do. Somehow that makes them feel better. You know, there, there I've got some, you know, somebody next to me. We're watching this video and uh, the tears start coming down. It's not my wife, but there's a member of our family. She'll just start crying. And I'm like, it's an actor. But that's not what you say right then. I found that out. All right. So... <laughs> To give you something to do with your friends and family. That's why we go. So take a look at religion. We go to church now and we expect to be entertained. How is the pastor? Did he break it down? You know, did he have a good sermon? Uh, we want to escape from the challenges of the world. We want an emotional climate of intimacy. Make us feel better. Get us closer to God. It appeals to our desires. If it doesn't, we start saying, I don't want to go. It's there to make us feel better about ourselves. It's, it's there to give us something to do with our friends and family. You understand what I'm saying now? We have turned religion into a movie. And I want to be able to... Uh, let's see if we can share this video with you and uh, hopefully it'll work. So I'm going to put the microphone down here. Imagine a church where every member is passionately, wholeheartedly, and recklessly calling the shots. I have a busy work and by the time Sunday rolls around, I'm tired. So how about a church service that starts when I get here? Can do. When you arrive, we begin. This guy, he plays by his own rules. We want to find a church where if he starts screaming, we're not the bad guy. Right? Say no more. <laughs> if you're being a screamer, you stay seated. The others around you can leave. Actually, Sherry and I don't give a lot to the church, but we sure like to know who does. All right, if you join now, you'll know what every person gives in detail. When I'm in church service, can my car get a buck and a wax? Not just that, but an oil change and a tune. How about tickets to the Super Bowl? That's asking too much. I'm serious. If I'm going to join, I want tickets to the big game. All right, you join now, and we'll get you there. I like a pony. Look in your backyard. <laughs> All right, so what we have is a, is a kind of a fascinating situation where we have turned religion into this commodity. And I want to deal with this because this is part of the effect of Hollywood. Just like we go to movies to be entertained, now we go to church to be entertained. And so what we've done is created a new kind of individualized religion, which is about self-love and about self-interest. It's the heart of what's going on here. We go to church when we want, how we want to worship the God who has to perform then according to our expectations. So we have created a religion that suits us. Now, take a look at this concept, the market-driven church. This is a little book by Gary Gilley. This little church went to market. And he asks, is the modern church reaching out or selling out? And he quotes uh, from David Wells in that book, and he says, the gospel becomes trivialized in this market-driven, entertainment-driven kind of church. Life loses its depth. God becomes transformed into a product to be sold and faith into a recreational activity to be done. And the church simply into a club for the like-minded. So we've created a church to suit our Hollywood culture. Are you following the, the combination here? And we have to ask the question then, is this the kind of church that God called into existence? Is this what God wants for us, or is it a result of Hollywood? Uh, in a fascinating book by Lee Strobel called Inside the Mind of Unchurched Harry and Mary, he draws a comparison. He says, look, here's what's going on. If more than 90% of the population, which is what is happening, express a belief in, in God and a desire for a relationship with Him, but less than half of the population ever attends church, what conclusion should you draw? Now here's what Lee Strobel draws as a conclusion. He concludes, Harry has rejected church, but that doesn't necessarily mean he has rejected God. So, according to Lee Strobel, he says the problem is, is religion gets in the way. And I want to back off 
And drawing on something that Gary Gilley says, I want to say that the real problem is our Hollywood culture. It is destroying our holiness. Take a look at this rebuttal from Gary Gilley. He says, yet the Bible clearly says that humanity does reject God. What surveys really show, and get this, is that people do not reject gods of their own creation and imagination. In other words, what we've done is created God, a, a version of God, a picture of God that meets our needs. And we import that from Hollywood because it's all about me. What we supposedly learned from marketing study is that the reason why Harry doesn't come to church has little to do with his rebellious God-rejecting nature. Rather, it is because the church is boring, predictable, irrelevant, money-hungry, and does not meet his needs. Now, I will say this. Sometimes the church is boring, predictable, irrelevant, and money-hungry. But that's not the issue going on in our lives. The issue goes deeper than that. Gary Gilley goes on to say, The express design of the user-friendly philosophy is to make unconverted sinners feel comfortable with the Christian message. The only way this is possible, I fear, is to change the message. I read this fascinating article by a pastor who was running a mega church, huge big church, lots of people coming. And he had basically bought into this entertainment kind of version. He says, basically like Hollywood, put on a big show, watch people come. They had paid musicians, great music, lights, fancy brochures. I mean, everything was put on for them. And then he got convicted. This is not the way Jesus Christ would run his church. So he, he called his pastoral staff aside and he said, what we want to do, we're going to get rid of our paid positions and we are going to start focusing on discipleship and getting people involved in ministry. You know what the result was? The church began to dwindle. The attendance went down. People said, we don't like it anymore. We kind of liked it when there was a big show up front and everything was provided for us. But I want to tell you that the church of Jesus Christ is different. Amen? We are talking about a holiness that is not just skin deep. So here's one of the problems of Hollywood is a me religion offering escape but not really dealing with the issues of sin and holiness. A second problem is what I would call superficial religion. Religion that only goes skin deep. And that's amazing because now more than ever before people want holiness. Take a look at some of the statistics. Studies show that an increasing number of young people are showing a greater interest in spirituality. And yet, the same studies also show a decline in Bible study and prayer. Now, help me out here. Here's a person saying, I want to be holy. I want holiness. But they don't have Bible study. They don't have prayer. Why is that? What's going on? Something must be affecting this. Something must be causing this. Take a look at this Value Genesis study of Adventist young people. They found 90% claimed a commitment to Jesus. 81% wanted a deeper relationship with God. Pretty much sounds like society. 74% said it's important to spend private time in prayer. So they said this is valuable. But look at what actually happens here. 60% still feel sad or depressed in the last month. Only 29% read the Bible once a day. And you're not sure how many of those are lying. And that has dropped 10% from 10 years ago. This is value Genesis 2. Only 6% read Ellen White at least once a week. And that's a figure that continues to drop. What has happened is that we are finding that the Bible does not meet our needs. Something has gone wrong. And I want to suggest that the problem is our Hollywood mentality. And that that is what is causing this. Our devotional life is on the rocks. Is that true? It is on the rocks. Something is going wrong. And I believe the problem is what I would call the movie Effect. Now take a look at a couple of statements that were written not about movies but about fiction. And then I want to step back to movies and see how that connects with it. With the immense tide of printed matter constantly pouring from the press, old and young form the habit of reading what? Hastily and superficially. And as a result, the mind loses its power of what? Connected and vigorous thought. Something is taking place when we are merely looking at a story. Now, I have seen what happens to my kids. My kids zone when they're watching the TV. You know, they say that you have less brain activity sometimes watching the television than you do sleeping. You're sitting there, 
and you go into the zombie mode. That's why it's so easy to move from watching television to sleeping. You're just in zombie mode. It's all put on for you. You know, here comes this character, bang, 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 all activity, flashing lights and everything else. And it puts you into this mode where you don't have to think. Have you ever tried studying your Bible right after watching a movie? It's hard, isn't it? It's kind of like, man, you know, because you don't have the flashing lights and, and you know, the, somebody doesn't pop off the page and go, let me show you the way today. <laughs> it's just, it's there. You've got, to, you've got to think. You've got to imagine. And the power of imagination has been affected. Even fiction, which contains no suggestion of impurity and which may be intended to teach excellent principles, is what? Harmful. It encourages the habit of, notice these words again, hasty and superficial reading merely for the story, and thus it tends to destroy the power of, and there they are again, connected and vigorous thought. And notice what it adds. It unfits the soul to contemplate the great problems of duty and destiny. The problem with Hollywood is it's turning our brains to mush. And the more we watch Hollywood, the more we lose our power to think. Have you ever tried to study mathematics through a video? It doesn't work very well, does it? Because it requires you to think when you do mathematics. Uh, they did these Baby Einstein, you know, everyone was thrilled with Baby Einstein videos. You're supposed to put these videos on and your child would become Einstein. Actually, what they found when they studied it out is that your child was more likely to be verbally and developmentally retarded, set back, as a result of watching videos. The videos actually prevented your developmental skills from developing. And some people are using TV and videos as a babysitter. And so we've got to be careful because this thing will turn your brain to mush. You heard about the guy who was playing video games? And uh, he kept playing the video games and playing the video games. And eventually, he, he was just sitting there. He couldn't eat. He couldn't do anything else. He was just trying to play the video games. The guy died through playing video games. His brain had turned to mush. So we need a paradigm shift. And uh, let's, if we go, the current paradigm says that we should do, we should do our spirituality through superficial and hasty reading of the Bible just to be able to get something for the day. Most of us do our Bible study like this. Oh man, is it already time for school? Okay, let me quickly get something out. And you know, we open, I'll flick our Bibles open and hopefully we don't turn to the, to the verse that says, and Judas hanged himself. But we, we turn it open and we go, oh, you know, well, there's something for the day. Let me, well, I wonder what that meant. And you know, we zoom out into the day and it's a mad rush. It's just something to, to satisfy the duty that we have. But in the Bible, there's another kind of paradigm, a paradigm I want to bring us back to, and it's the paradigm of Acts 17, verse 11. Do you remember what it says there in Acts 17, verse 11? That those in Berea were more noble than those in Thessalonica. Why was it? What did they have? First, before they searched the Scriptures, what did they have? There are specific things I'm looking for in this text. With what? Readiness of mind. They had readiness of mind. What else did they have? Their readiness of mind. What, how often did they do this? Daily. There was a daily study of the, the Scriptures. And how did they study the Scriptures? They, somebody mentioned earlier, they searched it. So in the new paradigm, I see an eagerness to open the Bible. Amen? I see an eagerness to get into the Word, to really understand what it means. Not only do I see that, but I see a daily study. I see people getting into the Word daily basis. I see depth because they really searched it out. Now, why did they do this? What was the purpose? They wanted to see whether those things were so. They wanted to find out, is this true? Now, if it was true, it was pretty radical because what Paul was saying was that there was this guy, Jesus Christ, who had come and he had reinvented all of history. So they were looking to find out, is this true? Their purpose was to find a truth that transforms. They wanted to take the words of the Bible and apply it to their lives. They wanted to see, if this is true, nothing will ever be the same. And so when they searched the Scriptures, it started to come alive. Amen? They started to really get into it and say, man, look at what's in here. Now something has gone wrong. Because when we search the Scriptures, we are now stuck in a point where this stuff is not hitting home. We are instead falling for the Hollywood things. And now some people say, well, 
you know what, it's just a movie. It doesn't really matter. It's just a movie. You heard that? You know where I heard that? My daughter was visiting somewhere. And uh, we were at a friend's house. And they were kind of fairly gentle about movies. And, you know, they, they have video games and everything else. So we were just talking away there. And suddenly we realized that my daughter wasn't in the room. So my wife got up and walked out and went down the hallway to the bedroom where the kids were sitting in front of the TV, opened the door, walked inside, and there on the television was some guy hacking off a woman's head and, and puncturing her with, with some kind of dagger. My wife, I mean, my daughter was only three years old. She rushes in, she turns off the TV, and the five-year-old kid says, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. The concept that this is only a movie is dangerous, folks. It is suggesting that movies don't affect us, which is a lie. You think they spend that much amount of money on advertising if the visual doesn't affect us. You, you, it's a billion dollar uh, industry. And you think they think it's just a movie? Or is it? Yes, so here's the problem of Hollywood. A me religion, a superficial religion it brings in. And now I'm suggesting to you that there is a dangerous hidden agenda. It brings in a secular kind of religion. Now here's what's happened. Because we're watching Hollywood, we have learned that you can survive and do a number of things without reference to God. So we have become secular Adventists. You say, what do you mean a secular Adventist? That's a little strange. What's, what's a secular Adventist? A secular Adventist is somebody, what, what's a secular person? He lives his life without reference to God. Now, here's what happens. We have become secular because we keep Sunday on Saturday. You know what I'm talking about? We have an hour or two of worship, which is our sacred time, and then we go back to our secular lives. We have the ability to, when we walk into a, a, into a church, to put on our holiness hat. You know what I'm talking about? And we suddenly become spiritual, and I'll deal with that in a moment. We pray largely in crises, like exams, or as rituals. As somebody said, there are no atheists at a mathematic exam. <laughs> we don't know how to apply the Bible to our lives. And so the Bible feels irrelevant and boring. What has happened is that... Hollywood has brought in the secular perception of life. And that's how we generally live our lives. And then we'll occasionally put on a spiritual act. We act as if the Holy Spirit did not exist. I love this illustration. I think I read it in one of the Ludi books of how they were with a group of people just before worship service. And so there they are in the back and people are cracking jokes. Hey, did you see the latest movie? And they were cracking jokes and it was kind of a coarse movie and they were talking about it and everyone's cracking jokes backwards and forwards. And then somebody says, hey, we've got five minutes till we go up. And suddenly it was like a switch. Everybody started talking spiritual language. Well, you know, uh, let's pray that God will be with us as we go up front now. It was just like a switch. The whole, all the previous conversation just switched off. We're now moving into religious mode. And then they went out front, and God has brought us together today to worship Him. Amen. Is this the same person who five minutes before was making crude jokes? See that on-off switch? What we've done is we've trained ourselves that actually this Hollywood stuff doesn't really affect us. You know, it's not a problem at all. I can watch it. I can see what I want. I can listen to what music I want. It doesn't affect me. And when I go into church, all I do is flick the switch and I put my holiness back on. But I want to tell you that this is a fake kind of holiness. So when we get to movies, when we're looking at movies, there is a secular agenda going on. But I want to say that there's more than that. There's actually a satanic agenda going on as well. And um, here's Hollywood's message. It debunks God. When was the last time you watched a Hollywood movie that really lifted up God? Anyone? This is satanic, folks. It devalues life. Men and women become sex objects. We remove the personhood of life. Here is a sacred person who belongs to God, who is in the image of God. And you know what we've turned them into? An object to satisfy my sexual desires. It devalues life. It, uh, it, there's violence. It just has no regard for life. It degrades, therefore, personhood. It takes away from who this person is. And everybody in Hollywood has to live up to an image. They put on an image. It's fake. 
and so it degrades personhood. It desensitizes to sin because you watch it over and over again, and eventually it starts to desensitize you to what happens. Imagine what it would be like. I come from Africa, and uh, so imagine these bushmen coming out of the, you know, out of the Kalahari Desert there, and they watch their first television program. Just, just imagine this, and they see somebody going out with a gun and just shooting people. They're like, no, no, stop that. They can't do that. That's terrible. What's going on here? Stop them. Stop them. Well, I guess it would be more like, you know, but when he tells them, stop it. And, and then you have to explain, no, this isn't really reality. It's just fake. You see, it's just a movie. It's just a movie. We have desensitized ourselves to sin. The average 18-year-old has witnessed 200,000 violent, 200, violent acts on television and movies, including 40,000 murders. I mean, just think about that process. What is happening to you when you watch so much of that? And you think this is bad. How many people do you kill in your video games? You know, I never thought about that. I kind of liked video games. Can I, can I be honest? Yeah, I was kind of like video games. I knew that there was a problem with that 6 o'clock in the morning thing. But the basic idea of video games I thought was fine. And then my wife, who was my girlfriend at that stage, she said, you know, video games, just think about how many people you're killing and you don't even think twice. Yeah, get him! Bang, bang! Yeah, I got him! <laughs> what does that start to do to you and your holiness after a while? So you look at what's happening with America and how we're becoming more violent. And you, and you begin to see that we are eroding our spirituality by saying it really doesn't affect us. And that has been proven wrong. We have shown there have been three studies, 1985, 1991, and in just last year there was another study that showed that violence affects your behavior. The watching of violent movies and video games affects your behavior. So as it turns out, one ratings categories covers it all. G4? Garbage. That's exactly what's going on, is we have garbage. And you've heard of the GIGO principle, right? Garbage in, garbage out. Eventually, it will have an impact on you. Now, personal experience. I went through a stage as a theology student where I, was, uh, where I found excuses for my movie watching. Somehow it became a cool thing. We would form gospel parallels with movies. So we went and watched... Uh, pulp fiction, and we saw the gospel in pulp fiction. And uh, we, we had all these kinds of things, but I noticed something started to happen to me. A, my Bible study reading started to go down. And secondly, not only did that happen, but those words that I'd forgotten from my past, those swear words, started to creep back into my language. Why was that? I had been programming my mind with movies. Does that make sense? I'd been putting that stuff into my mind. And uh, you can see this. I call it the video store syndrome. My wife decided to go down to the video store just down there in College Dale. We thought, you know, we thought, well, maybe we haven't watched a video in a long time. Let's go and try and find a video. Have you ever tried this? So we went into the video store. My wife said, you know, I, I want something that's clean. So she went to the video store guy there, and she said, look, I'm looking for something that doesn't have any sex or violence and that doesn't take God's name in vain. The guy says, man... I don't know if we have anything like that. So he goes back and eventually he comes back with a, a Mormon video <laughs> called Baptist at our barbecue. <laughs> and he says, I think this is about the only thing that qualifies. How much, how much of what we're watching breaks the commandments? And if you're watching other people break the commandments, how is that going to affect your own relationship to the commandments? After a while, you begin to feel it doesn't really matter. Hollywood is beginning to strangle our holiness. You're getting the theme here? Hollywood is coming in and really strangling things. Now you say, all right, well, I'm not a big movie person, but I love my reading. I love my reading. Something is going on. Again, we've got to look at some of the problems going on with reading. And you know... I, reading and television soap operas, some of these things are the same, the novels. You, you, you read so much and it all sounds like ex exactly the same. I remember when I was in high school, I uh, used to, just to irritate people, I would pick up their romance novels and I could tell them how it was going to end. <laughs> Isn't it the same? I had a friend, he was a pastor, this is terrible, but he was watching television. 
in his home. And he, uh, and he said, hey, you've got to watch this with me. He was addicted to soap operas. And so I, I was in his house one day. And he says, you've got to watch it with me. So we watched, you know, and you kind of go through. Somebody's upset with so-and-so because they slept with, slept with his boyfriend. And then, oh, yeah, well, that's how some of it goes. But this particular one... <laughs> You know, they, they uh, anyway, this particular one, somebody was on death row and somebody else was sleeping around and there was something like that. And I went and I looked and I said, this is garbage. Well, I came back three months later and somebody was still on death row and somebody was still sleeping around. And I said, didn't anything change in the last three months? It was almost like it was exactly the same scenario. You know what I'm talking about? And so what we have here is we are addicted to the basic concept and they are selling us a product and we're not learning anything. You follow this? This is not about change. It's not about something new. We are simply being caught up into it. Now, why problems with reading novels? It destroys the power of connected thought. Do you remember that? Okay, what else? It changes our view of reality. You see, in the movies, in the novels, in the soap operas, what happens is problems are solved very quickly. Have you noticed that? Half an hour later, the problem solved. In a movie, you, they, there may be all kinds of problems. I mean, I, I hate movies because we teach on relationships. And I watch this guy and this girl who are totally unsuited for each other. You know, he's a jerk, she's, she's a jerkess. And they are totally unsuited for each other. And yet, the movie will put them together and make it look like everything's grand and happy. One moment, they're shouting and screaming at each other. I hate you, you're blah, blah, blah. And the next moment, it's like there are no problems at all in this relationship. And the camera's doing a zoom from down below. And they're dancing on the beach and you know, kissing each other. And it zooms around. Like that happens in reality. Like just hold on here. No, get another angle while I kiss this girl. This is not reality. And yet, it, it starts to create in our minds, well, if things don't quite work out, then maybe I've just got the wrong person. So it teaches us not to deal with problems. It teaches us in our relationship with God. If, it, if it's not all lights and music and, and grand feelings, then maybe I don't really have a relationship with God. So what I'm finding is that more and more young people are beginning to say, I don't think I have a relationship with God. But the problem is they have a false expectation of what a relationship with God is, created by the movies and the novels. So we have false expectations. And it tends to be escapist. I mean, look, what is the real reason for watching movies and reading novels? We want to escape reality. That's why who, who are the number one uh, readers and watchers of these kinds of things? Desperate housewives and teenage girls. They want a different reality. They don't want the reality they have. So here, in this reality, I can be the princess. I can be Prince Charming. It doesn't work as much with guys because we want power. These books don't give us power, so we go for video games because that gives us power. We can control the universe. With girls, they want to be loved and cherished. And finally, here comes Prince Charming, and he loves and cherishes uh, this person. My wife was telling me how she used to dream that an Indian would come out of the forest and grab her and put, it, put her on his horse and they would race off into the distance. And she actually caught herself one day looking out the window saying, I wonder if today will be the day. We create these expectations because of our escapism. And this is affecting our ability to study the Bible. We need to get back to studying the Bible. Can we say amen? amen? We need to get back to understanding the Word, to really letting it sink into our lives. And it will not happen overnight. The first time you study the Bible, if you're used to movies, the Bible is going to feel boring. But don't give up. There is something about that story of the Bible that speaks across generations, speaks across time. Those ancient words have a power to come alive, to step off the page, to begin to become real in your life. And at first when you're reading, you're going, it's just not the same, I'm not getting it. But don't give up because the blessing is waiting around the corner. Start going in depth. Start getting some reading. Listen to some audio verse stuff. Get down into it and start seeing that this word is powerful. Remember, it was God's word that brought the worlds into existence. It was God's word that spoke. Bang! Things appeared. That same powerful transforming word can be in your life. Amen? Amen. All right. So what are some other stranglers here? So we said reading... What about the internet? Oh man, you know, I love the internet and I hate the internet. You know what I mean by that love-hate relationship? I found, I, I admit, I was an internet-aholic. What do you call that? An internet-holic. 
<laughs> I was an internet junkie. And I, and I knew, because if I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, I would, on my way to the bathroom, I would check my email. <laughs> I knew I was an internet junkie because I had no good reason for being on the internet, but I just had to click on one more news article. I just said, you know, let me just, I mean, you just never know. Something could have happened in the last few hours. And I might have missed it. So I just got to get back and just check, just to make sure that the world is still out there. <laughs> well, it's still there. But I just didn't know. And so we, we become internet junkies. Maybe, maybe somebody has written to us. Oh, look, a message from Facebook. <laughs> My space has been in personal contact with me. I feel so loved. And so internet, what are the problems with internet? Internet creates pseudo-intimate relationships. They did a study of people in their first year of college. You know what they discovered? That they were spending more time, first year students were spending more time communicating online with their high school friends than communicating with real live people in the college. I mean, I, I have to, okay, I have 1,300 plus friends on Facebook. I call them friends because I don't even know who some of you are. <laughs> you know, but you're my friend on Facebook, and I feel so good, and they write messages, and I think it is a good communication tool. But what happens over a period of time, we start to become addicted to it. People stay up all night on MySpace, or texting with messages. And the biggest challenge here is time. It just eats up our time. How many of you have noticed this? I had my students do a, a report on how they spent their time. And people were spending sometimes four or five hours on the internet. You know what I'm talking about? It just eats up your time. You keep going. There must be one more person to look at, one more person to write a message to, and maybe they'll write back to me. And we'll be intimate like that. You know, it'll be close. We'll be friends. I haven't seen them in 30 years. But it'll be intimate in that moment. And we struggle with the fact that there is no end to the information on the internet, right? You, you will never stop. There will always be something else for you to look at. And so the ultimate problem with the internet is that it is escapist. It is a way of not dealing with reality. How many of you found yourself stuck to your seat, knowing that you should go to bed or study or take out your Bible, but you can't get your finger off the mouse? Mouse stick-to-itiveness. <laughs> and and, and this has, has sapped our spirituality because if the devil can distract us with this, he can prevent us from connecting with Him. It is an addiction, folks, because when you struggle. I mean, how many of you have had this experience where you stop reading the internet and you feel withdrawal symptoms? Okay, who's going to be brave with me? See, I'm not the only holic among us. Uh, so it is an addiction. It is something that we need to deal with. Another strangler is music. Uh, you know, we just love music. We love to listen to music. Now, what could be wrong with music? Isn't music great? You think God made music? Is there going to be music in heaven? Absolutely, but it may not be your music. It'll be mine. No. <laughs> what kind of music are we going to have in heaven? Music does have power. It has power to change our emotions. And a good form of music therapy, if, if you're wanting to know, is that generally if you want to improve your emotional state of being, you start with music that reflects your current mood. So let's say you're sad. You start with sad music and you slowly change the tempo of the music to happy music and it will begin to change your mood. Did you, did you notice that with music? Music has that kind of power. But it also has a power to create unholy emotions. Now, I've seen this even in my little kids. You put on certain kinds of music, and they move from, from uh, dancing that could be to the Lord to dancing that's definitely not for the Lord. You know, they move, you can see it. They move from a more marching dance to a more swinging the hips dance. And my, my daughter's only five. She can swing her hips. I'm like, mercy. <laughs> this, this has a potential problem. And then what we do is we often put music with dancing, and I know people go, you know, David danced before the Lord. That's not what you're doing. David was not dancing before a woman. You understand? He was dancing before the Lord. But what happens is we put music and dancing together. Sometimes we throw in a little bit of alcohol. And pretty soon, if you are a red-blooded male, you cannot watch a woman vibrating in front of you and something not happen. Can I be honest? So don't tell me, don't tell me, you know, this is harmless, it's just good fun, and we're just doing it for aerobic exercise. You want to do it for aerobic exercise, do it in the gym. 
<laughs> All right? This is not, so, so we have to deal with the realities of what this music is doing to us. Music has subliminal messages. And the challenge with music is that the brain records the words and the music in different parts of the brain. Did you know that? So when the music is coming in, you're listening to the music, but the words are going in subliminally into another part of the brain. That's why, you know when you're struggling to remember a song, you've got to hum it before you can remember it. It's because the words are located in a different part of the brain and the music helps to get the words back. Sometimes you can hum and you cannot remember the words. They're recorded in two different places. So when you listen, go back to your music and really listen to the words, you begin to say, is this music that would bring glory to God? Take a look at what you're listening to. Now, the subliminal messages, you know, in the old days they used to play records backwards and then you, you'd have subliminal messages recorded on there. Just because we don't do that today doesn't mean the subliminal messages aren't there. Of course, you've heard about the uh, backwards country music, right? When you play it backwards, you get your house back, you get your dog back, you get your <laughs> wife back. <laughs> music can make it difficult to listen to God's voice. We have so much music in our lives that we fail to hear God. And uh, this, this reminds me of the, of the section from Ellen White which says, When every other voice is hushed, the silence of the soul makes more distinct the voice of God. If we have music all the time, we can't think. Does that make sense? And so we need to turn it around. We need to be able to hear God's voice amidst everything else that's going on. And bottom line is music is addictive. I had a student who came to our College of Evangelism at Amazing Facts where I worked for five years. And this student said, I know I'm addicted to music. And, and I said, all right, well, let's cut it out. The guy was having withdrawal symptoms. He was like, I need music. I think I'm, I'm so depressed without my music. Please let me listen to my music. I said, no, look, you made the choice. It's up to you. But if you go back, you're going to go back to being addicted. He was using the music, and this is what he told me. He says, I use music to drown, drown out all those negative voices in my head. And I said, I've got a better way. I have God's way that says when He comes into your life, you won't need music to dull the pain, to anesthetize the pain, to, to be able to get rid of that pain. So I want to take a look uh, at the end here at a few biblical responses to this whole issue of media. And the uh, first one is in 1 John 2 verse 15. And it says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. For if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Amen? Amen. So what we need is to love God and our love for the world diminishes. And it doesn't really give us much happiness, does it? For all that is in the world, and notice these three key things. The lust of the flesh, boy that describes a lot. The lust of the eyes, that describes even more. And the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And so that we need to be careful. And this world passes away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God, how long does he live for? Forever. He abides forever. So let's put our focus in the right place. Again, 1 John 2 verse 15, uh, you know, just a reminder, let's not love the world or the things in the world. So why does God call us to such a high standard? Is it that He just wants us, is He mean? You know, I, I don't want you to do any of this. Is God just mean? Like, you know, I don't want you to watch movies. You know, like an authoritarian kind of parent, you will not watch movies. Is, is that what God is doing? Taking away a blessing? No, what God wants is for us to get something better. God never takes anything away without giving something better in return. Amen? Amen. And uh, so... Here's what it says, 1 Peter 2 verse 9, You are a chosen generation, a royal what? Priesthood and a holy nation, a peculiar people. Anyone like to be called peculiar? I think we should update that word, but you know if somebody says, oh, you're a little peculiar today, <laughs> it doesn't go down well. But the idea is that we want to be a distinct people, you understand? A unique people, a people who stand apart. Why? That we might show forth the praises of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. And He said unto them, Take heed what you hear and with what measure you meet. And uh, Isaiah 33 verse 15, isn't that a great picture? That stoppeth His ears from hearing of blood and shutteth His eyes from seeing evil. We need to take a new perspective, right? What are we letting in? What does the Bible tell us? to do. It says, I will set no wicked thing before mine eyes. You can't see it there, but that's a television and the rooster's trying to watch it. 
I had a cat who watched TV one day, but fortunately was on the Nature Channel. All right. So what should a Christian therefore choose to think about? If we want to have holiness instead of Hollywoodness, what are we going to choose to think about? You know the famous text, Philippians 4 verse 8, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, whatsoever things are, pure, whatsoever things are, lovely, whatsoever things are of good, report, if there be any, and if there be any, think on these things. Where are you thinking, folks? Where are you putting your mind? Therefore, if any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Creature, all things are passed away. Behold, all things become new. God wants a different kind of holiness. He wants us to get into the Word. Watch that music. You know, I, I, I can't say it enough. Hollywood has created a perverted system of religion in our society that's become self-focused. And we now have things like MySpace to feed our self-obsession. We need to go back to finding out who we truly are from God's Word. We need to put our focus back on those things that will make uplift us. You know, if you look at yourself too much, you will become depressed. You notice how many depressed people there are in MySpace? We need to get back to the Word because it begins to change our focus away from ourselves. Okay, uh, yeah, so I dealt with dancing. I'm not going to worry about that one now. There is one more I want to tackle. Man, I'm not sure if I should do this. Let's talk about the things we wear. Now, I I just want to tell you that the Bible has a book of Revelation. And, and we don't need to add to it. <laughs> Some clothes look like they've been sprayed on. You know what I'm talking about? Sometimes with guys, we are, we, we are so worried about the cool look that we, we are trying to be more like Hollywood than like Jesus. More like our Hollywood hero than our Jesus hero. Are you following me? You think Jesus spent an hour and a half in front of the mirror? Getting that hairstyle just right. You know, seen. I, I remember one guy told me, he's a teenage guy, he says, man, today I look, I look so good. <laughs> I said, good for nothing. <laughs> I said, you, you can't base your self-esteem on that. You remember the days when you bought that new pair of shoes and you felt like your self-esteem had just tripled? You know, you, you kind of... You, you sit in the place where you can kind of put your shoes out in front of everybody else. See what, I, see what I've got. I'm cool now. Because I, I bought, what, what's the latest brand? See, yeah, you, you're good people. You've forgotten already. You know, you, I, I bought the latest Nikes. You know, they, they, they kind of bounce twice when you walk. That's, and, and you all feel that experience. And so we have begun to, to value ourselves, not on the basis of God's Word, but on the basis of how we look. Now, I want to take a look here. When revival comes in, when we have true holiness, things begin to change. Take a look at Genesis 35, verses 1 through 4. And God said unto Jacob, Arise, go to Bethel, and dwell there, and make there an altar unto God. This is going to be revival. And that appeared unto thee when thou fledst from the face of Esau thy brother. And Jacob said to his household, and to all them that were with him, Put away the strange gods that are among you. Isn't that a good thing for today. Let's get rid of these strange things and be clean and change your garments and notice what happens next. And let us arise and go to Bethel. What does the word Bethel mean? The house of God. And I will make there an altar unto God and he ans- who answered me in the day of my distress and was with me in the way in which I went. And then notice how revival affects them. And they gave unto Jacob all the strange gods which were in their hand and all the earrings which were in their ears And Jacob hid them under the oak which was by Shechem. When revival came in, the dress changed. We are living in a time when God is calling us for us to be a different kind of people. And instead of dressing by the standards of the world, we need to go back to that man of Galilee, right? Now notice what happens here. And the Lord said unto Moses, this is Moses, again revival, Depart and go up hence, thou and thy people, which thou hast brought out of the land of Egypt, 
into the land which I swear unto Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob, saying unto thy seed will I give it. And I will send an angel before thee, and I will drive out the Canaanite, the Amorite, and all kinds of other rites. Unto <laughs> <laughs> a land flowing with milk and honey, for I will not go up in the midst of thee, for thou art a what? Stiff-necked people, lest I consume thee in the way. And when the people heard these evil tidings, in other words, tidings that said, God does not want to go with you, they mourned. And no man did put on him his ornaments. For the Lord had said unto Moses, Say unto the children of Israel, You are a stiff-necked people. I will come in the midst of, of thee in a moment and consume thee. Therefore put, put off thy ornaments from thee, that I may know what to do unto thee. When God brings revival, the ornaments fall off. When God brings revival, things change. Now, of course, I know people are going to say, This is an outside thing. They strip themselves of their ornaments. And... Uh, I just want to read a couple of texts that says it's not about what's on the outside. I realize that. 1 Timothy 2 verse 9. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in what? Modest apparel. And this can be for guys too. With shamefacedness. That does not mean what you think it means. It just means with humility and sobriety. Not with broided hair. Back in those days they used to, they used to braid in jewels. And say, so, all with gold or pearls or costly array. Have you noticed how we just sometimes focus on gold or pearls? But no one ever talks about costly array. <laughs> we need to be careful what we wear that it shows our humility. Because otherwise we could end up like some of these people. And uh, we start just putting things in all kinds of strange places. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, you know, where is our focus? Is it what, do we want to have it on the outside or on the inside? And again, the text is, Love not the world, nor the things in the world. And be not conformed to this world, the Bible says, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind. Why do we need transformation? That we may prove or test that which is good and acceptable and the perfect will of God. And really, this is not just about what you wear. What did, what did James say pure religion was? Pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to do what? Visit the fatherless, that means orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep himself unspotted from the world. God is asking for a higher standard. He is asking for us to put away those CDs, to put away those DVDs, to put away that dress code that is against what he would like. So therefore, whose adorning, you know, spiritual people, let their adorning not be the outward adorning, but let it be the hidden man of the heart in that which is not corruptible, even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which is in the sight of God of great price. I remember a young lady that I was studying with and she was grappling with God. She said I, she was married, uh, was, had not been a Christian really, and was grappling with how do I hand things over to God. And I, I said, you've got to make an entire surrender. And I said, are you willing to do that? Yes, yes, I'm willing to do it. It came time to, for her to be baptized. She was just about to turn 30. And her baptism was going to be on the weekend before she turned 30. And so I said to her, all right, are you, are you ready to make this decision? She said, yes, but I've always promised myself that before I turned 30, I was going to have one mega rave. You know what a rave is? It's kind of like a, a disco on steroids, except they're not steroids. And so she said, I want to have one mega rave, and then I'm, and then I'm going to totally hand my life over to God. And I said, you, you can't do it that way. Once you start opening the door up to the devil, who knows where it's going to end? Because I'd already helped her get off of drugs and, and all kinds of things. I said, it, it's got to begin on the inside. It's not something you do on the outside. You've got, to, you've got to make this decision now. So I waited. This was on the Monday night. On Thursday night, she called me up. She's crying. She says, Pastor Alan, I, I, I just want to tell you, I gave it to God. I want His will for my life. Just baptize me. And so we stepped into a beautiful river stream uh, out in nature. It was just beautiful little bridge uh, there where everybody gathered. And I led her under the water. And when she came up, 
I couldn't tell her tears from the water, but I could tell her smile. It was worth it. When you look at what's going on in your life and the, and the stuff that's there, you have God's way or you have another way. You get to choose. Let's pray. Father, you know we're struggling with addictions. You know that some of us are addicted to MySpace and, and we're engaging in conversations there that we know are not appropriate. There are others of us who are addicted to, to movies and we've been spending nights watching movies. Some of us are addicted to video games and we've, we've seen how time after time those games have pulled us down and have, have, have prevented time from being spent with you. But most of all, Lord, we, we sense this emptiness, this boring nature of our lives that we know we will never break out of this while Hollywood has such a hold on us. And today, on behalf of each person here, we confess our sins, change us, and help us to become like you. We surrender now in Jesus' name. This media was produced by Audioverse for GYC, Generation of Youth for Christ. If you would like to learn more about GYC, please visit www.gycweb.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.